0: For the first time in a very long time, we have the great privilege and honor of coming to the Lord's table today. And sometimes, uh, not being able to uh, come to the table causes us to appreciate what a gift it is to us. The sacraments are indeed wonderful gifts from Jesus to us, His people. We should think of them as visual aids, as pictures of the gospel. Despite what is taught in so much of American Christianity today, the gospel is not easy for us to believe. The gospel is hard to believe. The walk of faith in the Bible is called a fight. We are soldiers on a battlefield. We should be thankful that Jesus has stooped low to our weakness and given us pictures, visual aids to help us believe the glorious truths of his gospel. I think it speaks as well to his pity. He knows that we are weak. He knows that we are sinners, and so he gives us the sacraments to strengthen us. And what I want us to think about this morning as we prepare to come to the Lord's table is how in the span of two chapters in 1 Corinthians 10 and 11, we're given three different titles for this sacrament, the Lord's Supper, Communion, and the Lord's Table. And while they all refer to this sacrament, they, they each highlight a different facet of this table and specifically of the gospel of Jesus Christ and so let's let's think about these three biblical titles that the Lord gave to this sacrament and let's first think about the title the Lord's Supper." Um, it appears in 1 Corinthians 11:20, uh, sadly in a negative sense, where Paul says, "This is not the Lord's Supper that you eat when you come together." And when we think of a of a meal, the maybe the first thing we might think of are the actual contents of the meal. And this title, the Lord's Supper, tells us that this is a meal that belongs to the Lord, and it's a meal that comes from the Lord. And this title, it first of all speaks of Christ's provision. His provision that when it comes to our salvation and our growth in grace. This title, The Lord's Supper, assures us that Christ provides all that we need. The bread and the wine in The Lord's Supper are signs and seals of this gospel truth. They, they remind us that we have contributed nothing to our salvation, that Christ has done everything for us. It reminds us of the truth of 1 Peter 1.3, where Peter says that his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. It gives us confidence that Christ has done it all. Christ is the source of this meal he brings the full meal we contribute nothing you know men how often in our house do we hear our wives on the phone with another woman getting uh talking about a meal or something what's what's the question what can i bring okay can i bring a side dish can i bring a salad can i bring a dessert Well, this supper that is set before us, we do not bring a side dish. We don't add anything to it. It pictures to us the gospel truth that Christ is sufficient for our salvation. That not only can't we add nothing, but we don't need to add anything. This complete meal signifies a complete salvation by a complete sacrifice in a complete Savior. It points us to Christ's sufficient provision, but related to that, it also, as a meal, it points us to Christ's person and his work. In other words, who he is and what he has done for us. It's a vivid picture of the person and work of Jesus Christ. It They point us to who he is and what he has done for us. This meal teaches us that the eternal Son of God took a body to himself and we can't overlook that in the upper room when when the gospel writers record the uh, the institution of the lord's supper it it goes into sort of a literary slow motion and there's this deliberate uh, record that christ took he broke he blessed he gave and these actions are significant they remind us that christ took a body to himself. And that body was blessed or consecrated for a mission, for service to his people, that he would come and he would obey in our place. And his body would be broken. He would give his life and shed his blood for our sins. And then he would sovereignly distribute that salvation by his spirit to his people. It reminds us that his body broken, his blood shed. That that was and still is sufficient for our salvation. The great Puritan Thomas Watson wrote, The sacrament is called the Lord's Supper. It is a spiritual feast. It is a royal feast. God is in this cheer. Christ in both natures, God and man, is the matter of this supper. We know that we don't believe that these elements become the body and blood of Jesus, that they remain bread and wine, and yet we still sit at a table with Christ and we receive our life and nourishment in him as we feed on him by faith. It's the Lord's supper. It speaks to His provision. It speaks to the person and work of our Savior. And secondly, let's think about this title, communion. And this really gets at the the question: What is the nature of this meal? Now, theologians have debated this for centuries and much ink and blood has been spilled and i don't uh, seek to answer that if you want that answer talk to reverend holst after the service but what is the nature of the lord's supper what what happens when we come to the table 1 corinthians 10:16 gives us profound insight into the nature of the lord's supper let me read from the new king james version the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? This is where the, the title communion comes from. It's called communion. And what is communion? It's a sharing. It's a, a partnership. It's a union. It proclaims a relationship. Sin destroyed the relationship between God and man. It made us God's enemies. Communion declares to us that this relationship has been restored in Christ Jesus. And so this title, Communion, speaks first of all to our communion with Christ. And it is this truth that is at the heart of our salvation. We are saved because we have been united to Christ, because we are one with him. And if you were asked the question, what's what's the primary way the Christians are referred to in the Bible? Or in the New Testament, I should say. It's not Christian. It's not believers. The primary title for us is those who are in Christ Jesus. It gets to that heart of union and communion with Jesus Christ. And it reminds us that we we're not saved because God has helped us out a little bit and made us better people. But rather, it reminds us that we are saved, that we are now acceptable in God's sight, because when God the Father looks upon you and me, he sees nothing less than the perfect righteousness of Jesus, his Son. It reminds us that our salvation is a reality because we have been united to Jesus, that we share in the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And we, in this meal, come together in a real way with Jesus, and he reassures us of that union we have with him. He renews his covenant with us. And when we come by faith, we partake of the benefits of his broken body and shed blood and enjoy that restored relationship we have with him. So it speaks to communion with Christ, but also it speaks of the communion of the saints. 1 Corinthians uh, ten seventeen, the next verse. For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. You see, union with Christ results in union with our brothers and sisters. It preaches that relationship that we have with fellow believers. But the union we have with Jesus results in a deep union with our brothers and sisters. And we're, we're coming up next in our study of the, the Westminster Confession to chapter 26, which is entitled The Communion of the Saints. And the first section in chapter 26 says this, and it brings these two um, unions, union with Christ and union with our brothers and sisters together. It says, all saints that are united to Jesus Christ, their head by his spirit and by faith have fellowship with him in his graces, sufferings, death, resurrection, and glory. It's our union with Christ. But then it goes on, and being united to one another in love, they have communion in each other's gifts and graces, and are obliged to the performance of such duty, public and private, as to conduce or bring about their mutual good, both in the inward and outward man. I think this is this is important for us as American Christians, be, wherein uh, we live in this individualistic society. Uh, we live in a Christian Christian culture where faith has been made very much an individual thing. And we can very often fall into that trap. We can begin to think individualistically about our faith. We can make it just about, it's about me and Jesus, and we don't see ourselves as part of a broader family. And the Lord's Supper is helpful to us because it brings us back from this empty, self-centered view of our faith that can we could so easily have. It It points us to Christ. It reminds us of the glorious relationship we have with him. But it also reminds us of the glorious relationship we have in him with our brothers and sisters. The spiritual family that shares an unbreakable bond in Jesus Christ. We are a family that's destined for eternity. And if that scares you, don't worry. We'll all be perfected one day. Communion. Communion. Real communion with Jesus. Communion with our brothers and sisters. And that's why this meal, sound theologians throughout the years have always understood that the Lord's Supper is never something to be observed individually. We do it as his people, as his family, Together. So the Lord's Supper, Communion, and then finally, let's think about the title, the Lord's Table. First Corinthians 10 21, we see that third title, The Lord's Table. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord or the Lord's table and the table of demons. Now the Bible is rich with what we might call uh, table imagery or even table theology. In the ancient world, to be invited to someone's table was a great honor. A table was a very formal place. The, the head of the table had the authority in the house. He he owned the table. And we read in Second Samuel nine how King David invited Jonathan's son. To sit at his table. Now this would have been a great honor, and you, you, you no doubt sense that in Mephibosheth's response. Who am I? Why are you showing kindness to a dead dog like me? To be invited to the king's table would have been a big deal. And so this title, the Lord's table, at first of all speaks of Christ's ownership. He's the king. He's the head of the table. He owns the table. And yet it is by his sovereign invitation that we come to his table. It reminds us on the one hand that we have done nothing to earn a seat at the table. 2 Samuel 9, it's underlined that Mephibosheth didn't choose to come to David's table, but David sought him out and chose him. It reminds us that we do not deserve a place at the table, but Christ in his grace and his love and his mercy sought us out and chose us. It reminds us that we love him because he first loved us. It reminds us that all of the glory and all of the honor is due to our king who saved us, who prepared a table for us, who at the cost of his own blood secured a seat for us at this table. And I think like Mephibosheth too, it reminds us that even as lame Helpless sinners, Jesus gives us dignity and invites us to come and sit with him. But secondly, and I think more vividly, the title of the Lord's Table, it speaks to Christ's covenant love for us. His covenant love, and it might be helpful for you to open back to uh, 2 Samuel chapter 9. Because there there are some great truths here that are easy to just read over. We see David showing kindness to Jonathan's crippled son, Mephibosheth. And for the ancient reader of this text, it would have really struck them as unique and countercultural. Because in the ancient world, to come into the king's presence and to sit at his table was a great honor reserved for a few elite people. There were many conditions for coming to the king's table. Humanly speaking, you had to be perfect to sit at the king's table. You had to be dressed in the finest garments. You had to have bathed. There are these little details that we can read over, but in In Genesis 41, when Joseph is brought up out of prison, the text goes out of his way to say, David, he shaved, he bathed, he changed his clothes, and then he went into Pharaoh's presence. This speaks to this idea. You had to have yourself together. You weren't allowed to be sad. You weren't allowed to be unhappy. You weren't allowed to be miserable at the king's table. And if you were crippled or lame or sick, you definitely weren't allowed at the king's table. And yet we read this account in 2 Samuel 9, and we see this unconditional love, this unconditional invitation by the king. David seeks out Mephibosheth and he extends unconditional love and kindness to him. Verse 7, David invited him and he, he said to him, "'Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness "'for Jonathan your father's sake, "'and I will restore to you all the land of Saul your grandfather.'" And you shall eat bread at my table continually. The text underlines just this. The abundant way in which David the king blessed Mephibosheth. And I pointed out to you that it's no coincidence that twice in this passage, it's mentioned That Mephibosheth was lame or crippled in both his feet. That's telling us. Here is someone who should not have been allowed to sit at the king's table. Here's someone who didn't meet the conditions. David not only invites him, but the text says that he ate at the king's table like one of the king's sons. And he ate at the king's table continually. You see, this was a shadow of David's greater son, the eternal King, Jesus Christ. And this teaches us of the covenant love that is shown to us at this table. It's an unconditional love. It was the grace of God that brought us salvation in Christ that we have a seat at the table because of his loving kindness to us and it encourages us because it reminds us that the lord's table is not for people who have everything together it's not for people who have clothed themselves in the finest garments and cleaned themselves up christ's table is for poor Needy, lame, crippled sinners. These are the people that Christ delights to have at his table. These are the people he desires to feed and love and care for. He knows we don't have any fine garments of our own, but he provides the garment of his perfect righteousness. Psalm 23 ends with this glorious image. It pictures us gathering with Christ at his table, at that final supper. The table to which this sacrament ultimately points. The table in the marriage supper of the Lamb. David ends Psalm 23, he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Friends, the gospel is hard to believe, and it's hard to believe because it is such. Good news. And this sacrament is designed by our God to help us believe it. And each of these titles that the Lord gives to us in His Word is rich in meaning. They communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ to us in a visible way. It's the Lord's Supper. Jesus has provided all that we need, it proclaims His person. And his work, his broken body, his shed blood, it is communion. It proclaims that relationship that we have with Jesus and with his people, and it is the Lord's table. It's a table owned by our Savior, but a table that he invites poor, lame, needy sinners to come to and we might be ministered to and have our faith strengthened and have Christ, our great King, renew his covenant love to us. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you have, even in this world, prepared a table before us in the presence of our enemies. And though we are not yet with you in glory, Lord, we... We look forward to that day when we will dine with you, the marriage supper of the Lamb. In the meantime, Lord, we pray that you might apply these words to our heart, that you might use this sacrament to strengthen our faith. Lord, that we might see the great God and Savior that you are and worship you and follow you. We pray in the great name of Jesus. Amen.